The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Hey everybody, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. It's just Ben here for the intro. At least Matt and Christy are on vacation, and so I am recording this intro in our little online studio all by myself. Um, so it's just us uh, for a few minutes uh, before we get started on the main part of our podcast. I just want to bring your attention to a couple different things before we get started. One is that um, we've talked a little bit about this retreat, but we have a retreat coming up in August. It's it's Labor Day weekend, essentially. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, August 31st through September 2nd here in Indianapolis at an urban retreat center owned by some friends of ours. Um, It's just a retreat. We're calling it A Bright Sadness, uh, Making Space for Grief and Joy. So there's not going to be a ton of teaching at this retreat. It's going to be time. It's going to be prompts and time for um, attendees to um, process maybe some of the unprocessed feelings from the past few years. Uh, Again, as the title implies, both joy and grief. Um, And then just a lot of space for us to talk about that, for us to share with one another in a safe environment. Um, I'm going to be cooking um, and we are limiting the retreat, obviously, uh, to (laughs) uh, the number of people that I feel comfortable cooking for. It's actually going to stretch my capacity a little bit because we have made room for 12 people at this retreat. There are three spots left. Um, So yeah, go and check it out. Uh, One thing about the three spots that are left is you will need to arrange your own lodging. The retreat center is full. And so if you want to come, you will need to arrange your own lodging. But there's some links to um, different places that are near the retreat center there. So again, August 31st through September 2nd, if you'd like to join us for a intimate retreat with home-cooked meals and lots of time to talk uh, about the last few years um, and just what it brings up for you and uh, time to process that together. Um, anyway, we're looking forward to it. And uh, you can check it out. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to abrightsadness.eventbrite.com. Abrightsadness.eventbrite.com. The other thing, um, the other little blurb to let you know about is that um, today's episode is about shiny, happy people, uh, not the REM song. 
unfortunately, <laughs> uh, that one's a lot uh, more fun than the documentary series that we're going to be talking about. And so um, we we invited um, our some some friends, old and new, um, Rebecca Mui and Laura Robinson, to chat about this documentary series. And our conversation kind of went all over the place. It was a lot of fun, um, and it was very wide ranging. And um, we actually uh, we sort of touch on the documentary series, but we we end up talking a lot more about the the wider themes. Uh, that the documentary series brings up, um, different things that are happening in culture right now, um, how our faith relates to all of that stuff. So it's a great conversation. It's longer than usual, as you could maybe see from the runtime on this podcast, but I hope you'll listen through it. Um, But one thing to to let you know about is that um, we are going to be podcasting through each episode, kind of episode by episode, we're going to podcast through Shiny Happy People, and then we're going to walk through that Hillsong documentary as well. Um, but we're going to do this um, on a different podcast platform. We are going to be very soon relaunching uh, what was called the Gravity Commons, where um, people could, uh, where, where basically you'll be able to um, get access to um, this other podcast that we're going to be doing, where we walk through things like this. It's just a little bit more raw, a little bit more vulnerable um, platform uh, for us to host some of those things. So anyway, um, that's the uh, just something to watch for. Uh, it's going to include a lot more um, ways to interact with people. There goes my dog. Somebody's coming to the door. A um, lot more ways to interact with people, others in the community, um, and um, basically access to you know all of our past Learning Lab archive, um, access to join live podcast recordings. We're going to have a new course, a live course um, that we where we walk through kind of a deep dive on Axiom 7 from our book, where we talk about reckoning with power and how God's love does that, um, specifically in the realm of gender and how it shows up there. So um, anyway, watch for all of that. It's coming soon, um, more concrete announcements, but um, just wanted to uh, tease the the first few episodes of the extra podcast that we're going to be offering to members of that community for for y'all, because we're going to be talking about um, shiny, happy people, this documentary series. All right. I think that's all that we need to chat about before we get into this conversation with Rebecca Mui and Dr. Laura Robinson. Here we go. Rebecca Mui and Dr. Laura Robinson join us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Rebecca is a PhD student in political, social, ethical, and cultural thought at Virginia Tech and researches post-colonial political theology, Christian anarcho-pacifism, and Anabaptism. She's the editor of The Kingdom Outpost and publishes personal essays on, on her medium, uh, medium.com at Rebecca Mui. And she recently published a review of what we're talking about today, Shiny Happy People, on Kingdom Outpost entitled Wholeness or Whitewash, Wholeness and Whitewash, a review of Amazon Prime's Shiny Happy People. We're also joined by Dr. Laura Robinson, who has a PhD in New Testament studies at Duke University, and she works in public education in Indianapolis and writes and blogs at, at Laura RBNSN. Laura, 
Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Well, let's do this. Let's start with maybe some personal anecdotes. I mean, we're obviously talking about this documentary that Amazon Prime published, Shiny Happy People, four-part series. Uh, Some of our listeners, many of our listeners have already seen this, but this may give you an introduction to what it is and let you know if you want to see it or not. But tell us a little bit about your personal upbringing and the, the content of the documentary focuses on the Institute for uh, Biblical Life, IBLP stuff with Bill Gothard and the Duggars. So tell us a little bit about your experience with that growing up. Was that a part of your life? Did you know about that, et cetera? So I grew up in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and my family just started homeschooling for educational reasons when I was about nine And it was mostly because like public education and wanting to have a more like holistic, like play-filled childhood. And that was great, but there weren't many homeschoolers around. So when I was about 12 or 13, my parents thought it would be great to bring us to a Christian homeschool conference. Turns out it was an ATI regional conference. Um, When the letter first came in the mail, I thought it was the strangest thing ever. You had to wear um, a specific type of modest court shoes. You had to have khaki skirts down to a certain length. Um, and yeah, like, there is a whole bunch of things. And they're going to teach us about like godly courtship and uh, the evils of rock music. And my mom was like, it's a little bit strange, but you know what? You can go and make friends with other homeschoolers in the region. And so when we went, um, there were homeschoolers from Indonesia and Singapore, Malaysia. So it was this thing. And there were there was a lot of people at that conference. They had people come over from the US and they had a lot of the things that you would see. Uh, I think there was a regional conference in one of the Duggar episodes. Um, they taught pretty much those things. Like the first lesson was Thou shall not keep secrets from your parents. And they made all the children, all the girls, because girls and guys were separate. All the guys went outdoors and did fun things. And the girls stayed in like the hotel and and did delicate ladylike things. It was very compliment, like very, very complimentary. And I think like, why, why, why can't I be out there? Like, mm. anyway, one of the first things they got you to do was sign this thing where you had to make a vow never to keep a, pa- a secret from your parents. Stuff like that. And so that... Uh, and then from like that conference onward, like our church that we joined started like, was like really into that. So we had basic seminars. The Ad- Bill Gothard's um, advanced seminar was one of our church camps. We had the curriculum and we would go for like the yearly conferences and they had kind of cool like homeschool groups. It was weirdly gender segregated. Like I tried playing basketball and then I was like, told that like girls do not play basketball you know with the guys girls do not go camping girls don't do outdoors things you know you have to like learn how to sew and yeah I mean it was fun um that was our social life for for a couple of years and I got involved in like the conferences the weekly groups the so in terms of we never joined ATI and in our home we didn't do a lot of those things but it was in our church the whole like they're just weird niche things about the ATI culture, like reading the five Psalms and one Proverbs in some weird order. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that. Yeah, they, there's a reference to it, I think, in the documentary. Can you tell us what that is and what the significance of that is? 
So yeah, that was a big thing in our church. And I remember questioning it once and getting in trouble because basically Gothard had this thing where you read Psalm 1, 31, 61, 91, and 121, and then you would do that the whole month. And and then you read one Proverbs. And they called it wisdom searches. And a lot of ATI families would do that in the morning. We did that sometimes in our church meetings, Bible studies. Um, it was so weird. And I said, like, you're, you're jumping all over the book of Psalms. And then people say, oh my, it's so amazing because they make more sense. Like, they were written to be read this way. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, that was just one of the weird niche things. We did the character first curriculum in our church. And I know like a lot of people have this experience, like even if they were never enrolled in ATI, you would um, like a lot of evangelical churches or groups or whatever would have had some some of the books, the character sketches or whatever. So this thing was not in some weird niche little cult world. It was something that a lot of people, you know, People that I would know, like evangelicals in Canada or something, be like, oh, yeah, we went for those conferences. Like hmm. there's a it, it's like I call it like a diffusion across the evangelical world. Yeah. And sometimes people don't even know like the Psalms and Proverbs thing. I know where it comes from, but people who learn it from somebody from somebody don't actually know where it comes from. Yeah. I want to get into that a little bit later, Rebecca, and maybe explore some of that diffusion. There, there is this um, response I'm seeing to the documentary of. Uh, some people are distancing their tradition from what's going on with the Duggars and Bill Gothard or trying to say that this is an attack against Christianity, those kinds of things. But I think what you're naming is important, and that is there is so much diffusion of what was happening in Gothard's movement um, throughout white evangelicalism in the West, and it sounds like even in Malaysia as well. And so I want to get back to that. But you, you want to say more about that right now? I just want to say, like... I would say that I emerged from a relatively conservative fundam- fundamentalist-ish influence world. And then I realized that the evangelical world, like I realized it's all <laughs> it's all the same. I mean, like you may not have had Gothard's version of courtship, but maybe a lot of kids in mainstream churches read George Harris's version, which mm-hmm. is the same thing, just in different degrees. Or like Focus on the Family teaches many of the same gender things that Gothard would have so like or, or or desiring God or the gospel like the authority teachings are the same so like people trying to distance it's like come on like. yeah the theological social architecture is same foundations just mm-hmm. different different maybe wallpaper yeah mm-hmm. um well Laura by way of introduction how what was your growing up like as it relates to this stuff uh yeah so I I um I mean I have a sort of all over the place uh, experience growing up that I had been uh, raised in a very small uh, Quaker church, actually, in Indiana, um, on the on the west side of Indianapolis, out towards uh, Hendricks County in, in the more agricultural uh, area. And this was a uh, this was a really small church that had, um, you, know, you know, a lot of the hallmarks of Quakerism, right? You know, that there was uh, Quaker, Quaker families tend to put a lot of stock in education, uh, specifically education of daughters. Um, I have uh, two aunts and, uh, and my mother from that side of the family, and all of them have PhDs. Uh, and now I have a PhD, right? Like, this is a really big part of, uh, p- part of Quaker history and Quaker families, that education for, for daughters is a really big part of the culture. 
Um, in, in, and we had female pastors growing up, right? We, th this was not a weird thing. Um, my parents had, uh, something of a born again experience when I was, um, when I was in my early teens. Um, and at that point there was some, you, you know, th this was sort of our first venture into the American evangelical monoculture in a lot of ways, um, that they were, uh, very eager to have churches that had more, you know, more deliberate programming for boys. Right. And we ended up at a, at a large, uh, evangelical church in the suburbs. Um, and, and that was sort of how my evangelical story started, uh, was being, a being in a church that was in some ways very similar to the one we had left, but in some ways extremely different. Uh, and a lot of that was the, uh, the American evangelical emphasis on gender. So I, I, I think the way, the way I often talk about this, uh, spending my teen years and college years in this is that I, I really had one foot in one foot out, right. Um, that on one hand, you know, my mom was going to be damned before her kid got married at 19 to a guy who's going to Bible college, right? Like that was never going to happen. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, there was this, um, there was this idealization of that culture. And, you know, I, I, the way wealth interacts with this is really interesting because you, 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 you simultaneously have this emphasis on like gender roles and, you know, men providing and these sort of like very, uh, yeah, you know, like, like women in my church read the pearls, right? Like Debbie Pearl and like, like that was around. And also, you know, a lot of the women there were lawyers <laughs> and, you know, so it was, it was a, it's hmm. a strange combination um, and, and, and I think that when you're a teenager and you're trying to process this and make sense of this, um, there's a lot of things pulling on your attention that on one hand, there's this sense that you want to please your family and you want to do what you're, you know, what, what is expected of you as a, as a member of a educated suburban social class. Uh, and also there's this really strong sense that real Christians would not be doing this, right? You know, that this is something I've called before the, um, the uh, the superlative bias in evangelicalism that there's often this like constant attraction to extremity and doing things more than and doing things bigger than hmm. and, and I think that that was always sort of lurking on the outskirts of this even if you know I e e even if my ability to fully participate in this didn't really fit with my family there was always this sense that there is a path towards what it means to be a good woman and um and mm. achievement is somewhat at odds with it right um mm. and, and, and again it's like it's it's tough because i know people are going to listen to this and say you know like but your church was really celebratory when you went on to get your ma in biblical studies it's like and that's all true that's all true it's also part of the complicated reality of being in high-performing, high-achieving, wealthy, white, suburban spaces, and also being in spaces that are evangelical and are, you know, I, I, the diffusion thing is really intense here, right? That the, the yeah. other part of this is that um, the spigot that releases the pearls in, you know, like people talk about the pearls as a fringe group. Okay, sure, but they were still there. You know, the, the spigot that would yeah. block off these these impulses um, or, or these like extreme uh, hierarchical teachings, it was still there. 
Yeah. Could you say something about the pearls for those of us, for the listeners who don't are familiar with them that has to do with like corporal child punishment? Yeah. 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 And, and um, so th- that's, that's definitely part of it. Um, the, yeah, I'm not an expert, honestly, this is like half remembered stuff from 15 years ago. You know, it's, yeah, yeah it, it's a very, um, there's a strong emphasis on child corporal punishment. There's a strong emphasis in like the, the role of woman is like help me, which is defined in this very particular, you know, like the satellite that revolves around your spouse and like provides him mm. with support and encouragement and, you know, never makes him upset, you know, and, 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 and like a lot of this is, you know, yeah, the, the presentation in this package is very extreme, but it's not meaningfully different from what you see in like love is respect, right? I mean, love and respect, the, uh, the Egerich uh, marriage manual that has sold a bajillion copies, right? It's not meaningfully mm-hmm. different from that. This idea that there isn't a hierarchy in the home and everything flows towards the husband, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, um, Christy, as you're listening to Rebecca and Laura, like, I wonder if you can chime in. It's, I don't, it strikes me that your experience may be somewhere between Rebecca and Laura growing up. Yeah, it is. It's actually probably more towards Rebecca. I, I mean, I went to the Bill Gother things like as a kid, I remember in sixth grade going thousands of people there. Um, and my dad, my dad's dad was like a Baptist preacher, pastor. And so some of that influence like filtered down into the generations. Anyway, as you're talking, you know, when you're a kid, you don't even know that it's how bananas it is until later. (laughs) And now you're like, oh my gosh, like I kind of feel sick to my stomach watching this or talking about this or, you know, whatever the veil is kind of pulled off your eyes. And so, um, I am curious, Rebecca, just can we talk about the documentary just for a minute? I'm curious, what was your reaction? Like, how did it impact you? Um, And Laura, Matt, I would actually like to hear your answers too. like maybe like 30, 60 seconds. Like, how did you react and how were you impacted? Um, Oh, I had a thought just to circle back to something Laura said. that I remember, so recently I did a paper on imperial masculinity in the evangelical world. And there was wow. a study, and there are several studies that I could send you guys if you want to read it. But there are studies about how in evangelical homes where the mother is working, she ends up having a lot of guilt because the biblical womanhood ideal is in is there. And it's always right. at the back of her mind, even if she's working as many hours as her husband is, she will do more than double the amount of labor and childcare. Um, and she will always have that guilt that she's not doing enough and not spending enough time with her children, despite the fact that she probably is actually spending more time with her children than a mother in 1950 would who is staying at home. And there are even stud- there there is a study of women preachers in Pentecostal settings who who are who are ordained and who serve and minister, but at the back of their mind there's this biblical womanhood ideal. And so when this academic was interviewing this woman preacher and it came out, she she wanted to clarify one thing. She's like, I am a mother first. I bake my own bread. I do. And then she lists all the, you know, homemaking things that she does because she felt that she had to clarify and, 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 
and prove herself to be a good biblical woman, even though she's literally in an egalitarian denomination. So this ideal that's on women does not just apply to people who are in like fundamentalist homes with 10 homeschool children and the mom stays at home all the time. This is right. something that women carry, even if they have a full-time job, they need to work, or even if they're in an egalitarian setting where they are preaching. Yeah. So that's me. Yeah. I mean, Rebecca, that is me. It's in my bones. Like I have to fight it. Like I'm in an egalitarian setting. I'm, I'm a, a female pastor. I preached on Sunday. I have six kids and I guarantee you like the thing I feel guilty about, the junk inside because it's like in my bones because of how I grew up and what I was taught and what mm -hmm. I believed. Mm -hmm. Like it's at the core. And so it's something that I feel like we have to remind ourselves of truth over and over and over and over um, because otherwise we just revert back to what we were taught as a kid. And it's it actually is a sociological thing in American society. There's this thing called uh, studies on the rise of intensive mothering that has to do with the rise of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And the, the more that men became uh, economically like the wage earning and all that, the more the ideal of the, the godly, like the domestic pure woman in the home who's as selfless as possible. And so it's set up. This motherhood is set up so that women can never win unless they literally destroy themselves and like mm, literally yeah. you have to literally die for your children and then you're a good mother oh. um and so <laughs> and yeah. so like elizabeth elliott says like womanhood is the essence of femininity is making yourself nothing that literally is a secular capitalist mm. thing actually mm. yeah mm. wow well rebecca i still want to hear your reaction to yeah. the documentary like what did you think how did it impact you so I would say there is nothing really new about the documentary. Um, I had been following one of the survivors, Emily Anderson. She has a Facebook page called Thriving Forward. I had followed the news about all this. Uh, there was Recovering Grace, Homeschoolers Anonymous. I was very aware that within this like fundamentalist homeschool world that there was a lot of sexual abuse that had come out like a long time ago with like the vision forum that was more towards the reform side mm -hmm. um the pearls never really had that level of scandal but we all know their teachings are totally messed up <laughs> so that, that's mike and debbie pearl um and then so when i was watching this documentary it was like it just it said a lot of things out loud that had already been true and had already been what I had processed seeing, like the fruit of the authority teachings, the fruit of the uh, gender teachings, you know, and and I think it, I think it, it hit me more than I thought it would have because I have dealt with a lot of these things and processed them and written about it and talked about it at an academic conference, like in a very intellectual way, but really, like that the Duggars are just one story. I know yeah. so many more stories and and like really, really terrible stuff that has happened. And I would call like I would be, I believe that the authority teachings, uh, whether it's Gothard or or CBMW, uh, the Council of Biblical Manhood Womanhood, uh, whether it's going back to Rashduni or even all the way back to Augustine talking about patriarchy and slavery in the home, similar to what Doug Wilson talks about. Like, I believe that all of this constitutes grooming for abuse and exploitation. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. 
that's what it amounts to because you're idealizing a woman or somebody under authority who is as meek and subservient and apologetic and obedient and who like they're with the with the Gothard thing, like they were talking about how the guilt and shame is internalized. It's like they have they with their journey of the heart conferences and all that like they take those things and they implant it in your conscience and in your heart so your authority always has that lever they can pull or that button they can press to to control you from the inside to to use guilt and like you know you believe that you are sinful and you are rebellious even if you're like a 30 year old woman who stays at home because a parent wants you to she will always believe that she just isn't obedient enough that literally is true for so many people i know mm-hmm. and and so it, the it's not just rules it's not just like these weird exteriors it's also the spirituality of extreme obedience and surrender and and like there was a clip in the documentary where goth was like there's you have only one life are you gonna live it for what matters are you gonna live for jesus like this is very evangelical sounding stuff uh they're using this language and they're using the spirituality to trap people and Mm -hmm. to groom them for abuse and silence and now a word from a sponsor What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, let's get back into our conversation. Man, I now realize we're going to – I feel like we have to have four-part series on this whole thing because we could talk for for hours on this. Laura, I want to hear, though, Mm -hmm. what was your reaction? Was it similar to Rebecca's or was it different? Yeah, no, I I, I mean – I think that part of why, you know, I I front-load all this with, you know, I I think that, like, my big takeaway is that it's – it's not as far away as people think it is. That's my big takeaway with all this. Um, that, and that's why I really front load the fact that I did not grow up on a homestead with 17 kids. I did not grow up going to Bill Gothard. Uh, I did not grow up going to Bill Gothard seminars. I was not homeschooled. I went to a public school. I, uh, I went to college. I got a PhD. And this was still familiar. You know, this this was still familiar that this is not. um, And and I think what if there was something I could really encourage um, people both in and out of the evangelical world to realize is that, like, if you start hunting around for this stuff, you're probably going to find it um, closer to home than you think. And um, and I think that's if if I could really just center on one thing, that would be the the primary thing that. it's very, um, I think the common response to this is that this is extremist, that this is an extreme movement, that this is uh, a fringe movement. This is not representative of American evangelicalism, and we don't need to treat it as though it is. But the reality is, is that this stuff might be in your church library. There might be somebody on staff at your church um, who was taught this in seminary. And I'm not saying witch hunt. I'm just saying be aware and keep your ears open. Um, I remember when I was in grad school uh, watching my pastor speak at a, at a conference and like some of the books he had recommended on like family life 
I remember one of the, I couldn't tell you the name of the book. Um, I'm sure it's on video somewhere, but uh, I, I remember somebody raising their hand at the end of it and saying, you know, like, I know that book. And the, the, the author recommends that, um, that dads shouldn't ever be expected to change diapers, that this would be like an, a, a, a disruption of the family hierarchy and a disruption of the family order. And, you know, like just encouraging this level of like coldness and distance, and like these ways in which like dads shouldn't have to get their hands dirty in parenting, you know, like this is, this isn't just destructive for women, this is destructive for children to not see their parents as, um, equally invested in their nurturing. And, and I remember him being like, you know, well, yeah, don't take everything on board. But, 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 I, but I say that to say that, you, you know, it's the, the extreme language is closer to home than people think. And like, you know, you might have a pastor who seems very normal and not crazy, but these ideas are still out there and they're still influencing people. And, and um, and a lot of times I think what, what, what takes over is, you know, what I've, what I've called the evangelical superlative bias is, um, that people might not, um, openly engage this stuff, but it's, it's a little bit of the whole, you know, no enemies to the right, uh, or like uh, you also hear it in love, I guess, but like this idea that more conservative and more, uh, traditional expressions of evangelicalism all always deserve a hearing because they are more conservative because they're more traditional and this uh in like they're 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 sort of maximizing on something that is useful in the culture wars and i i think what i would just say is just to be aware of that you know you might not see it unless you're in pastoral counseling you might not see it unless you um take like a marriage course at your church or a or a parenting course at your church and then you might you might really start to see it you might really start to see this stuff out there and i think that's just something to be aware of that um being at a big church with a lot of money and a lot of mds and jds uh does not mean that your church is not influenced by these teachings yeah matt tell us and before we hit record you were like oh i'm i'm kind of still reeling a little bit, maybe. I don't know if that's emotionally, but like, tell us, how did you react? Uh, So I was raised Roman Catholic and none of this stuff was on my radar really at all. I I didn't grow up in a purity culture or sort of focus on the family, Bill Gothard stuff. But when I became a Christian in college, like within uh, six minutes, somebody handed me, I kissed dating goodbye, Uh, you know, figuratively. Like like this, this was the now, so I just, I just kind of accepted a lot of the mm-hmm. Bill Gothard architecture as this is what it means to be a Christian. And it didn't really fit me, but I sort of just kind of made room for it, like over here on the side. Um, uh, and then, you know, as a pastor, I remember about uh, 13 years ago, I got into loggerheads, which is a nice Midwest word that means fight, with this elder at this church who uh, just, we did not see eye to eye, and he was a huge Bill Gothard guy. And he handed me the umbrella illustration, all this stuff. And I remember thinking, this is dumb. But I, I regret, I just, you know, this isn't right. But I regret, I didn't understand as yet how destructive and damaging it was. I just thought it was wrong. I didn't know that it was harmful uh, in the way I do now. So as I watched, I mean, I just was seeing like the normalization of, like you said, Rebecca, predation grooming, brainwashing, torture, authoritarianism, and, and all of it sanctioned and endorsed by like Jesus. 
And so I get like angry when I see that because like you're messing with my Jesus. That's the first thing. But the second thing is like all of that stuff, um, you know, for the last eight years since the rise, like since the, since the rise really of the Tea Party, but then Donald Trump, all that stuff's just been embraced by millions and millions of, of white evangelicals. And I know a lot of our listeners are heart sick over that, you know? Um, but this, this documentary, I think helped me be like, oh yeah, this makes total sense now. Like Bill Gothard was like the, uh, the, 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 uh, older brother that was like the successful, uh, shiny, happy version. And Donald Trump is like the younger brother who's the rebel, but they're embodying the same kinds of stuff. Um, and I think that it made, it made sense to me in a really devastating way. I guess, as I watched it. And what I, what I mean by like, it's, it's, I feel like it did me dirty. Cause like there's these phrases and moves in that documentary where you've got, uh, you know, things like rape and, um, child grooming and just the, just the evil, just the evil, the gratuitous evil that, um, it still makes me like sad, like really sad that this was done in the name of Jesus. You know? <sighs> yeah. Makes yeah. me sad. Makes me want it makes me want to throw up. And, so. and punch something. Um yeah. Could, yeah. I'd like to hear I'd like to hear from Rebecca and Laura. Like, why is this stuff so appealing to us? You know, like <clears throat> Bill Gothard and folks in the family kind of grew um strong in like the 70s and 80s. What was it about that cultural moment? Why, why does this appeal so much to people? And then why are they so reticent to reject it when it produces all kinds of bad fruit? What's, what are your thoughts on that? Or do you have thoughts on that? I think one place I would start is that um, misogyny didn't need to be invented, but it's always possible to capitalize on it. That would definitely be a, you know, I, I think that this is not separable from the fact that we just generally do live in a very sexist society. And that's not, that has not changed. Um, and, and I mm. think that there is something. Um, so I think there's two parts, right? You know, people talk a lot about the idea that people love to have like, like in an uncertain world in a, you know, a, uh, in times of economic uncertainty, or uh, international instability that people like roles and rules. And that's true, I suppose, but I would also put a, want to put a lot of um, asterisks after that because it's not true that in times of uncertainty, uh, any rule is appealing, right? You'll notice that the movements that did not take off weren't, um, you know, what if women were in charge of everything and what if the most important thing in any household was child flourishing and anything anyone does to get in the way of a child's flourishing uh is severely punishable and we can throw you out of our community right no 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 those are not those are not the rules that take off the rules that take off are the ones that i think affirm the tendencies we already have in our society which is that um I, I and I think this this does dovetail with economic problems, right? Is that I, I think that we um, acculturate young men to think of themselves as owed in a lot of ways, right? Um, and, and I'm not trying to dog on young men who might be listening to this. You know, I don't always think this is conscious, and I don't think this is always evenly experienced, right? Lots of people, uh, lots of people know better. 
Um, and at the same time, there is a cultural tendency to treat to teach men that they are owed something and that a significant portion of what they're owed is non-competition in care uh, and support and acts in sexual access to women. And I think when somebody comes along and says that this, you know, these large cultural narratives and motifs like Christianity and, uh, you know, the need to find like your purpose in society. Um, the reason why I think in large part, why they catch on with, uh, you, you know, like you know, out here, there's so many people out here bemoaning the fact that like, you know, men don't really go to church, but then these programs get men excited about church. Well, yeah, this is affirming cultural narratives about what men are owed. And like, this is appealing. It's, a, it's appealing to be told that you actually are owed this. You actually do get this mm -hmm. and you deserve this. And yeah. that um, if the women in your life are not providing this for you, then they really need to be corrected. And in fact, like God has a design for women and the design for women is um, exactly the kind of woman who agrees you're owed and it really takes what you're owed seriously and makes that a priority for her. And, and I think that that's, that's important. You know, like we could talk about, you know, like backlash and like the rise of like, you know, 1960s and uh, second wave feminism, that kind of thing. But, but, I, but I also think generally, you know, backlash against women has always been with us. This is not a new phenomenon that there, there has always been this frustration with, um, women not going with the script, you know, you can find records of this in the Victorian era. You can find records of this in the Roman empire. Like this is not a new phenomenon. This idea that, um, we are owed and women are not giving us what they owe us. And we need to fix this problem. This has always been with us. This has always been a way of conceptualizing women. So I, yeah, I don't know. I, so I, I think that like my, mm -hmm. Yeah, Laura, you just your your comment about how men are owed, and so this flows from that sort of um, entitlement, right? I, I was talking yeah. to a friend whose teenage son. Uh, he told me that he was getting into Jordan Peterson, who's the mm -hmm. you know the Canadian psychologist, the guy who is basically uh, kind of a white man entitlement embodied, you know, and um and, and his comment Bible was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do not go to his Bible study. Um, but but he was saying basically like can, he he was he was saying, can you blame my son for doing that? Because all the cultural narratives that my son hears as a seventeen year old is that uh, white men aren't important. And I remember thinking when he said that, I don't get any of those cultural messages, mm -hmm. right? And but if I thought mm -hmm. I was owed something, I would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know? I think that's it. It's, it's, you know, I, I mean the, um, there's a, there, there's a study that, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about that one lately because it, it, uh, it comes up in Sheila Greger and Rebecca, uh, Lindbach's book. She deserves better, um, of the, 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 the claim that resurfaces in a number of evangelical spaces that like women talk a lot, right? That like women talk twice as much as men and like it's hard for men because like women talk twice as much as them and like men getting tired at home. And, and you know, when you look at actual studies, for one thing, men and women actually talk basically the same amount. If you look at just in a, in a, um, it's it studies of, of language, men and women actually talk the same amount every day. What actually is true though, is that in a conversation between men and women, if you ask men afterwards, um, who talked the most, they always say that the women did. 
Um, and they usually don't think that men and women got to talk an even amount until men are saying about four words to every one word of a woman's. That's usually how this goes, right? So, and, and again, it's the sense of owing. It's the sense of owing that like, that, and that is a, it is a lens that refracts all of experience, if that is a way in which you are approaching the world. If you feel as though you should have the floor 100% of the time, then it's very frustrating when somebody has the floor a quarter of the time, right? And, and I think that this, <laughs> this is the attention that, yeah, I'm, I'm totally serious. And, like, and this is the know, thing that I think I we need it's to, just... yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous it, 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 though, it, right, Laura? It, it, no, it's, it, I, I mean, it is like you look at this and, and that's, um. I mean, I joke all the time that I got way more misandrist when I met my husband. And that was just sort of like, what the hell are you guys all doing? Jeez, like, this, you know, he turned out okay. What's your excuse? But uh, and, and no, and that's a, that's a, I, I joke about that a lot. And he, I, I, I have, I have probably become more misandrist since I got married, but, uh, <laughs> but no, but I, that's not sincere. I obviously, there, this is not a, as I said, I'm not saying that this is a universal problem. I'm not saying this is a problem that is experienced evenly. You know, that like I I I I would expect some men to go in and have an awareness accurately of how much everyone is talking. And I would expect some men to go in and never, ever, ever be able to get to a point of realizing accurately how much, you know, this is not experienced evenly. Yeah. Um yeah. but at the same time, I think that we need to be aware that the sense of oddness is a um is a is a powerful reality bending thing right and, and i think that this is something that we need to think about whenever you know whenever we're talking about gender and power in church um i i i think this is something we need to really think about that you know you know it's it's very common to hear in these conversations the sense of like well you know but men don't go to church and it's cuz like nothing in church is for them right and 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 i always find that very confusing from the question like what are you talking about what are you what a revealing how, how would it what a revealing framing, i know right yeah <laughs> and, and, just, and like and how would it how would it not be and then you know it, it, i i went through this a while ago because i wrote an article about this of just the whole sense of like you know church not being for men and then, like when you ask like what in church is for women it's like well you know they have like nursery right you know it's like for, nursery is for children and y- y- you know <laughs> and, and also like that's a that's a service, right? Like this is a service that makes church going possible for women because otherwise what usually happens is women have to take the kids out. So again, just any sense that, but 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 I think it comes back to this sense of oddness, right? That like we have a service at this church that makes it possible for women to go to church. Well, why isn't there a service that makes it possible for men to go to church? Well, I don't know, probably because you could sit through the whole service and nothing would disturb you and you don't really need that, right? Unless you want someone to, carry you out back if you get fussy i don't know uh but but i but i think these are the things we need to be really realistic about that a lot of times people say things that sound true if you adopt their lens of oddness or if you have unconsciously glommed onto it um but when you really start to think about it and pick into into pieces like this really doesn't make any sense does it so yeah what you're saying reminds me of john piper saying that like the church or Christianity should have a masculine feel. Yes. Which is, yes. Like, yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Um, so, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> like, look at the, like, the irony of John Piper saying that, right? I know. Yeah. Like, look at, look at the most downloaded sermons. 
in the country on iTunes. Look at who has had the most like theological posts. Look at like how, wh what are you looking for? Right? Like what exactly, you know, yeah, that's, sorry. It's not Christy Penley. Let me just say that. <laughs> <laughs> the most downloaded people. They're not looking, no, yeah. no. Rebecca, you were going to say something. Go for it. Well, um, so the I think World came out with an article and said, look, this documentary is attacking evangelicalism. It's not just attacking this niche cult. Um, and yeah, the Gospel Coalition said the same thing. They were they were taking it personally, and and th their focus was they don't they're not a very charitable interpreter of Christianity. That's what they decided to focus on in this documentary. I hate mm -hmm. the whinging that people aren't nice enough to Christians because. Like, there's a sense of, again, entitlement, like Laura is saying. Like, there's a sense of, like, the world needs to only look at the good that we've done and not, and just turn in a blind eye to the abuses. Whereas, if you're preaching the gospel, like, you're preaching about salvation from sin. So, even, like, all these worse perversions then would be accepted, like, is, is accepted, like, in, in, in the, in the ATI world, uh, could you say People, what ATI is? Uh, oh, quick, uh, Bill Gothard's uh, homeschooling, um, his homeschooling program. Well, in the IBLP Gothard world, right? Yeah, yeah. People hear about the sexual abuse and they just blink and they say, well, you know, don't throw the baby out of the bathwater or don't mm -hmm. listen to gossip or they're willing to hear these extremely perverted things and then just blink an eye. Whereas like kissing before marriage or... Uh, some very small, like <laughs> these like small things that they have made into moral issues that aren't moral issues. They are projecting an extra high level of purity, so-called godliness, so-called. And then you just turn around and if the leader does something wrong, you don't even like bother. You still believe in the teachings. You don't mm -hmm. really yeah. care to look into it. So there's a sense of morality that is extremely warped. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to say, so my research has to do with the concept of coloniality and like imperialism. I will say that evangelicalism in America is so embedded in the settler colonial framework that it is based on these structures. Gothard has these authority structures of like church, family, home. This comes from Christian reconstructionism. So like similar to what a uh, Christian theo theonomy, like Doug Wilson's group. And they're very much, they believe in like top down authority being the thing. And Wilson actually equated patriarchy and slavery. He said, uh, slavery was a benevolent patriarchal institution. Now, that is nothing new um, in that framework, in that way of looking at the world, which Augustine would have written as well in City of God, um, chapter 16, that like the patriarch is in charge of the slaves to discipline them like by word or beating, that he is their authority to keep them from sin. He has a higher, higher divine calling of authority. You know, they make it sound like it's such a burden, such a responsibility. <laughs> and uh, this, so this was ingrained in the logic of the settler colonial America, the manifest destiny America, coloniality consisting of coloniality of like, knowledge that western society europeans have exclusive like special civilized enlightened knowledge um and then in four areas uh, economics capitalism uh, the whole system in 
race. They invented the whole racial system, uh, you know, classifications, which is very much tied to economics, to your place in the class system is very much based on race. So like race, class, um, gender, and there's one more. Race, class, and gender would be the main ones. And so this is embedded very much into what America is how America has functioned, American evangelicalism, like um, some scholars, I think Marty in the 1970s wrote about how the history of the Great Awakenings and how America is essentially an evangelical empire. And if you look at imperial masculinity, if you look at hegemony uh, and the way that they believe society should be structured, like in Christian nationalism, it's very much based on the same logics. And so the idea that Gothard is in this little corner doing some weird, crazy things and that American evangelicalism isn't implicated in the same ideology, in the same authoritarianism, that, so, like, I think the question earlier was, like, where does this come from? This is a lot of nostalgia. Like, make America hmm. great again. Make America great again comes by, you know, Maintaining its place in the world comes by maintaining that order, that Christian, so-called Christian patriarchal, uh, white supremacist society. And that's all intertwined there in the logic of it. Uh, it's it's a nostalgia for the 1950s, which were in themselves as nostalgia for the age before the Manifest Destiny and the whole like cult of domesticity that was a thing. Um, in the 19, now in the 1950s, and Kristen Dume has done so much great work into this, but the cult of domesticity was such a big thing, and it was part of why America believed that like America was superior to the Soviets, that the domestic woman was an emblem of uh, the beautiful high heel stilettos in the kitchen, baking cupcakes. Like she is an emblem of why America is better than Russia, and of like domesticity, femininity versus masculinity, the masculinity being the whole, you know, Cold War, we're going to beat them mm -hmm. thing. And that's a social, that's like a social political kind of history. And so people like the Pearls or Gothard or CBMW are cap capitalizing on that nostalgia and that longing for like this Christianized, uh, it's, it's with a veneer of Christianity, but of this world. And so Samuel Perry uh, talked about it in an interview for The Flag and the Cross about how the Buffalo, New York serial killer, uh, mass murderer, said, I'm not a Christian, but he wants to restore Europeanness, Christianness. He doesn't actually believe that Jesus is the savior, but he believes that America should be Christian. And therefore, he uses this to go out and, and, uh, and kill people in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. I think that, I mean, you mentioned um, Kristen Dumay and you know, obviously shiny, happy people and all like, this is part of a constellation of sort of new, uh, maybe popular level um, education about where this stuff comes from. Because I, I grew up in a, I was just texting with some friends about shiny, happy people. And I don't have any memory of sort of being, you know, directly influenced. I don't think my family was influenced by that, but focus on the family, James Dobson stuff was definitely, mm -hmm. that was like, oh, this is important, you know, this, you know, in our family. So I think it's this constellation of this kind of new realization. And I think one of the biggest paradigm shifts for me was 
realizing that it's like this stuff isn't rooted in the Bible per se. That's what they, that's what they want to say is like, well, this is biblical. Look at these Bible verses, right? But it's not actually rooted in the Bible per se. Like you study enough history and you, and you connect these dots and you realize, oh, this is rooted in like everything you just said there, Rebecca, you know, like this is rooted in a, uh, a supremacist sort of worldview that has this veneer that was, the Bible was used to support. And it was all very uh, highly racialized, you know, highly, um, you know, cap, uh, pegged to capitalism and capitalist concerns. And so the whole thing is, is all connected. And I, that, I just like, I think that's the, that's the conceit that keeps needing to be revealed is, no, we're not talking about biblical anything. We're talking about, you know, like a social movement that has some Bible verses attached to it. Um, and that, that's been, I don't know, I guess it's been helpful for me. The other, well, the, the other thing that the came to mind is, of, oh, sorry. That's, that's all right. A little bit of a delay, I think, Laura. So I think we're uh, missing no. each other sometimes. I just wanted to say okay. um, a lot of what you were saying, Laura, about, people, uh, especially white men being owed, um, reminds me of that. And I don't know where this quote comes from, but I've heard it. I've heard people uh, quote it a lot. Um, that when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And that's a genuine experience, I think, that people have. I don't think people are being duplicitous when they feel put upon. You know, when white, when white men or, or boys, when they feel oppressed. Like, I think it's a genuine feeling, but it comes from the fact that they have unexamined privilege that they haven't, they haven't really reckoned with. Um, so yeah, I don't know where that quote comes from. And and they, no, and and it's, it's difficult to, some of this is also very difficult to talk about. Be, um, and, and you want to talk about it fairly because of, you know, it, it, it is true that we live in an era where it is, um, significantly harder for younger people to get ahead and have financial security than you know um, than their parents, right? And and then and and even then their grandparents. You know, like home ownership is much more difficult than it used to be. Wages have been stagnant for forty years. Um, you know, food costs are are increasing, and you know, like more and more work is concentrated in urban areas, which have much higher cost of living. So it's it, none of this is. None of this is to say that people who feel disenfranchised um, are wrong or people who feel right. um, as though they are getting the, the bum end of the steer are, are wrong. None of that is to say that this is that, that that is made up or neurotic or not true. The question is, what do you blame it on? Right. And, and that's where I, I have a question with somebody like, you know, well, who else could I turn to but Jordan Peterson to solve this? It's like, I don't know, is Jordan Peterson talking about, you know, how we're the only country in the world that uh, doesn't, where healthcare is not considered a right, that is, uh, you know, that is provided socially and that you can be bankrupted at any moment for getting sick at the wrong time. Or the fact that if you are lucky enough to have health insurance, it's tied to your employer, which makes changing jobs much more difficult, which is itself a significant threat to social mobility in a culture where, uh, being promoted through the same company over a lifetime is not really a way to get ahead of any. Or no, no, of course they're not talking about that. No, they're talking about immigrants and they're talking about queer people and they're talking about women. And, 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 and like, the reality <laughs> is like they are not causing your problems. They are not causing your problems. And I don't blame people for feeling disenfranchised. What I do blame them for is not noticing that there is no 
um, get out of late capitalism fast pass by being gay. And therefore, this is not the, you know, the the idea that this fast is pass. privileging I told you. There, I was told and there so, was. I was told there was a fast pass. <laughs> well, there's not, unfortunately. You know, that um, <laughs> there is nothing about being gay or being a woman that means you get to opt out of late stage capitalism unfortunately uh, if there was i would have heard about it but uh but 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 more to the point that you know your your problems are you have more in common with the people you are blaming your problems on than you have in opposition to them and i blame people for not noticing that because i think that you have to have a very blinkered view of existence to not see that um so that so that is where i i do get impatient with people i do get impatient with people um not for saying that they uh are are that their their situation is not enviable i blame them for not um for Blame them a few things, actually. I, 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 um, I, I resent um, in. And I think you see this a lot with reviews of shiny, happy people. I resent people taking the uh, taking on the mantle of being the persecuted one, um, reflexively. I, I find that deeply frustrating. You know um, that everybody. I, I, I think I, I don't you know, I, I said this on Twitter the other day. It's like, is there any demographic that thinks they are accurately and adequately represented in the media? Like, has this ever happened that somebody is like, yeah, no, we're represented just fine. Right. No. But the, the, in, in the reality is like some people have much more right to complain about this than others. But it is it is reflexive um, to assume the stance of, you know, in, uh, in, in, I think that. We, we live in a culture where it is often reflexive to assume the stance of a um, of an underdog and of a persecuted person and not think through why you think that, why you think that and, or, 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 or who is doing the or, or who is who is in your class with you. Right. I don't think it would be wrong to say for, for if you are a 22 year old man. Uh, a 22-year-old white man who just got out of college, I do not think you would be wrong for feeling that you are in some way in a, disenfra- uh, a, a disempowered position in human history, given what you had to spend and take on to get your college degree versus what it gets you at the end. Um, I do have blame for people who think that the problem is immigration or feminism, right? Because it just doesn't follow. Right. Um, so I, I think that a big thing I would just say is, you know, like I would really urge people to think more carefully Um before they think of themselves as the underdog of why do you think that? And who do you think put you in that position? Right. Because that matters. Um, and in what, yeah. What is the evidence for this? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we miss then our true solidarities then on the other side of that, right. If we blame the wrong people, we don't realize that if I'm a 22 year old man, I actually have a lot of solidarity with women, mm-hmm. with black people, yeah. with queer people. Mm-hmm. Like that's where my, it's, it's, it's a solidarity that, um, yeah. that I'm missing out on actually. Yeah. Um, if we're, if we're yeah. missing some of those things. So. Yeah. yeah. You don't have anything in common with Donald Trump. He doesn't care what happens to you. Right. You're missing the ones right, who, right. You know, the fact that you yeah. share a race and gender is not relevant. Uh, so I, I think that's, right. that's, that's um, I started down this path and I can't remember what got me onto it. Uh, but, but I, I, I think that that's, um, that I, I think those are the things to be thinking about when we think about like, where do these cultures come from and why do they have such staying power? Um, and, and you know, we're, we're obviously far afield from shiny, happy people in, in some ways. 
in this. But I, I, but I, I think more to the point that um, talking about shiny, happy people to the exclusion of related subjects is, I think, a mistake. I think the important thing to note here is that this is um, part of why this is familiar is because even if the movement itself is not familiar to, or if you're not in a religious context, um, that these ways of insisting on hierarchy and the, these ways of um, valorizing and, and treating them as, necessity, as necessities that um, without which our culture shall surely vanish. Uh, you know, I think that those are, I think those are secular phenomena too. And those are things we just need to be thinking about and aware of. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us towards holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives, to learn how to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. If um, y'all go to the last, so Bill Gothard's basic seminar, his infamous seminar is available for free online. Um, not that anyone really needs to put themselves through that. I'm not recommending it at all. But in his very last session of the seminar, he basically outlines Christian nationalism as an agenda. Mm-hmm. And he says this. Mm-hmm. He says, if we, what happens is that before all these, you know, the sexual revolution, everything, that society fell apart. That's always the conservative narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Society fell apart. Well, initially it resisted it. And then what it resists, it will take on. So he's saying if we create this new standard and this new revised standard of biblical conservative families, whatever term he used to define it, you create, and then he he was like, you create this thing, society will, and then he'll draw like a jagged line, society will react to it, and then then they're gonna accept it, and then it's going to become the dominant thing. It will become the mainstream thing in American society, and that is what it is. If you go to his current website, he's talking about you know the holy founding fathers and everything like the Christian nationalist thing is very much. They won't use the term, uh, you know, but that is what that is what that is why they have that many kids. It's because they want to outnumber everyone else, and they want to create a world where they are the majority and they're willing to work with whoever even if they don't match up you know the dress standards or whatever else uh they're willing to work with anyone who will support that agenda yeah yeah we could get into replacement theory there we could get into the anti-science that's runs through this we could get into all kinds of things um I really appreciate the color that both of you are bringing to this, meaning the backstory, the history, the cultural artifacts <clears throat> that that bring something that maybe 
some of us want to see as an anomaly, uh, as something that is uh, actually a, a quintessential picture of white Christian culture. Uh, that a lot of there's a lot of tethers to our experience. Maybe as we turn to wrap up this particular conversation, um, I know a lot of uh, my friends, our listeners. Um, there, there's been a, a reckoning in their faith. Like they're really having a hard time um, because they keep seeing the ills or the evils, uh, the pathologies of their faith, and they're trying to hold on to something. And that, you know, and then, you know, I'm going to hold on to, you know, authoritarianism. No, I can't hold on to that. Am I going to hold on to the husband as the head of the wife? No, nah, that's abusive. You know, and so there's all these different things. So I guess, Rebecca, Laura, as we close here, why are you still a Christian? And and what is the work that you want to do in this in this morass we're talking about as a Christian? What's the Christian work to do? I have a slogan I live by that I heard at a lecture when I was a junior in college. Um, I cannot for the life of me remember this man's name. He was a guest lecturer at college and he was... Um, he, he was talking about a, 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 a range of social issues and the way they interacted with Christianity. And he said, he, he had, this was not his slogan, he had heard it from someone else. He said that um, if it ever seems that you must choose between truth and God, choose truth and the truth will lead you back to God. And that was a uh, phrase that hit me about as hard as it possibly could have because it perfectly cohered with my experience that I was... Um, I was learning more about the Bible. I was learning more about the world and myself and what uh, made sense for me and how to process my own experiences um, being hurt in the church. And I, I, I was increasingly coming to the end of, you know, the, the evangelical narrative that um, evangelicalism is the ability to answer every question concisely off the top of your head, right? Um, which I think is sort of a... a a, a cultural expectation, you know, be able to explain why God allows things, uh, bad things to happen to good people over any dinner conversation on a napkin, right? You know, like the, the, that sort of like, you know, cultural narrative of having all the answers. Um, I, it, it was exactly what I need to hear. And I have kind of stuck with that my entire life, that whenever I feel constrained by my faith to believe something that I I really know isn't true on a gut level or just doesn't seem like impossible to be true that that's where I go. And, and, and it's, it is proven true that God actually, um, God actually is where the truth is. Um, and by insisting he's another way, I, I think people use that to get power over other people and deceive them and trick them and, and get them to buy into systems that aren't helping them. So I, I think that would be the primary thing I would say to people is um, I would expect to meet God where the truth is. And if something seems to you that it must be true or something seems to you that it must be false, don't resist that feeling and keep leaning into it and keep pressing into it and talk about it and bring in friends who have thoughts about it. And um, and don't constrain yourself. You know, I, I, I think sometimes churches say that, you know, we... We love when people ask questions. We're not saying that we can't, you can't ask questions, but we do expect you to arrive at this answer in a reasonable amount of time. And, and I think like get people 
in your life who don't put that expectation on you and and be okay with exploring um because i don't i don't think that that path means that you will not have a faith anymore in fact i i i know from experience that's not true um so so yeah i i think that would that would be my primary advice it's it, it's not as dire as it seems um to to start questioning and walking away from these things um the other much less poetic thing i would say is just um pull out a history book and and read about the ancient near east and read about the roman empire and and get a sense of how these things are um informing uh the new testament and the old testament and 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 how how far apart these cultures are from our own um and how far the cosmology and the worldview is uh because i i think that one thing that made a huge difference for me was having permission to acknowledge um that we 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 got on the theme of you know calling things biblical and when they actually have origins in american history um, you know, I, I think one way to even do one better is just look at how irretrievable and how much you wouldn't want to uh, retrieve the culture of the Roman Empire, right? That like there are how, the 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 way in which family and marriage and childhood is conceived in the ancient world is just so far from ours. And if you feel um, as though it's it's difficult and burdensome to try to recreate these structures in your own life because that's biblical guess what? You're never going to reconstruct it because you have running water and you have no idea how much that changes the way you think about what a family is when you're not walking up the street every day to get a bucket. Right. And that, like, you know, like this, 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 it sounds small, but it's not. It changes the way you think about a family. If your house is porous, if it is semi-public, if you have a porch that people are just allowed to be on, um, who live in your neighborhood, if you are a part of a guild, uh, if you don't have windows, if all your kids sleep in your bed with you, this is going to really change the way you think about things like marriage and childhood and family and in what your family is and who you owe allegiance to. And if you feel like you're being oppressed by trying to live up to biblical womanhood, guess what? You're not even close. You're not even close to being a woman the way that it was in the Bible. So give yourself permission to just be okay with that and just accept that if in light of the fact that um if god wanted you to live like a woman in the roman empire he wouldn't have let 2000 years since then pass would he so just be okay with the fact that these are these are historical things and we don't need to try to recreate them yes stop gaslighting yourself and mm-hmm. uh give yourself a hug I like yeah. it. I like it. Re- Rebecca, how about for you? Why are, what, what's what's the work we need to do if we see these things and we want we want to change them? One thing that comes to mind is that we have talked about the political and social context in the world in which fundamentalism occurs in which in which these extreme Christians are operating. The only language that they speak is like biblicism and devotionalism. They will not understand bringing in um, sociology or history to show where this comes from. They'll just say, but the Bible, but devotion. And so I like before I went through a period of rethinking my faith because we had been exposed to not just this, but other extreme movements that were about the stand taking 
evangelicalism to its logical extremes, which is being sold out for God, being devoted to God, reading your Bible for hours and praying for hours a day and, and not seeking the things of the world and being separated from the world. And um, a lot of, like, I would say mainstream evangelicalism has this as the ideal, but it's the extremists and fundamentalists who actually take that to its full logical, like, who actually are zealous and radical enough to try to live out that ideal of this on fire for God, you know, sell everything, uh, make your children's education completely about the Bible because everything else is of the world, etc., etc. And yeah, that 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 is something that we have to realize is rotten at its core. It is emotionally unhealthy. It often ends up in abuse. Uh, Two examples that I can give, and people might not be aware of this, Elizabeth Elliot was heavily involved mm-hmm. in IBLP. She taught at their mm-hmm. women's seminar. She literally told women that God created you to be a doormat. You should be the best doormat you can be. Um, and so she helped groom these young women into uh, the servile, uh, submissive ideal and it was all based on this whole thing like, that she and Jim Elliot had, which was like sell all, you know, risk everything for God, go the hundreds and like go to like not just 100%, but beyond. Um, and then the other people who are heavily promoting this ideal is uh, Eric and Leslie Ludi. And if you go to Embassy Institute, which is the IBLP uh, version of Netflix where they have all their teachings and seminars. You will find S- Eric and Leslie Ludi speaking at LB- IBLP mm-hmm. conferences mm-hmm. to this day because that is the kind of Christianity that IBLP promotes. That Christianity that is about radical devotion to God and radical biblicism when we know that we know by its fruit and we know by the toxicity and harm of these teachings what they do to you spiritually, internally, uh, emotionally, physically it is there's something very wrong and then i stepped away from all like you know uh we were taught to like it is through uh bill gothard's teachings and through like the homeschool groups that we had that we learned like how to study the bible memorize entire books of it read read it through in a month and do all these things like you know make uh, vows to read your bible how many hours a day or whatever um it, it. I stepped away from all that devotionalism and all that, like, for a while because I started seeing people just turn a blind eye to abuse, whether it was domestic violence or Bill Gothard's uh, behavior and, and and sexual abuse, and people just like people who who said they were all about holiness and radicalism, just like, just like whatever, just looked away. Yeah. And the biggest message that I would have is when you look at all these things that are shaking the church today, I believe it's God. I believe God is the one who uncovers literal Mm -hmm. sin. And I would say, don't look away. Mm. Don't try to shield yourself into this thing where all these were good people. They're preaching good things. This helped really help my faith. And therefore, all these other, like the, the cognitive dissonance that they will say that all the accusations therefore must somehow not not be real. And so you buckle down and live in a fantasy world where, say, Ravi Zacharias or Gothard or whoever else was your, you know, the one that you looked up to, the celebrity, and or 
in your church or whatever movement that it is, don't look away from abuse. I think I think Jesus very much cares about that. Like this, why am I Christian? Because I believe Jesus cares about this. That Jesus is angrier about it than I am. That Jesus knows the suffering of all the abuse victims more than I do. That that I believe that I believe in 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 that pursuit of holiness, radical holiness for the church, which must mean taking a strong stand against not just the abuse, but the teachings that have led mm-hmm. to and caused abuse. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really passionate about, about justice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, justice is a trigger word with evangelicals these days. And I realized it's because they do pursue social justice. They are pouring millions into their version of social justice um, because they believe that God's justice is synonymous with creating an earthly government that aligns mm. and then using that top-down force. Everything is about dominance and force. To me, it's a religion of like secularized cultural power. Mm. Uh, and so that's their anything. So top-down justice is their thing. And so they hate any kind of justice that comes from the bottom. There's no yeah. such thing as Jesus mm-hmm. caring for the marginalized, the abused, the, the least, the lowest, lost. Yeah. No, because it all has to come through the top, through power, through becoming a majority in society and etc. But I believe that, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not calling for a revolution or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I believe that the justice happens when God's righteousness starts in the church. And when we, and when we actually live out what Jesus taught. <laughs> So and, we're and, all social yeah. justice Christians, is what you're saying, <laughs> right? Can I actually well, make we, one last point? Just be honest about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll just oh, yeah, say, just like washing each other's feet is a radical act mm-hmm. of toppling down that the social hierarchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Laura. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't trying to cut off Rebecca. First, I made her speak, then I made her stop. Uh, sorry about that, Rebecca. But uh, <laughs> but um, no. So I, if there's anyone listening to this who I, I think sometimes these things come down in stages, right? That, um, and, and if there's anyone listening to this who sees the abuses and sees the harms and sees maybe some of the veneer, but you're not quite willing to give up on this, you, you, you feel this deep connection or the sense that the most important thing is this project of, um, creating, um, of, of creating this Christian church and this, this idea that, uh, I mean, this Christian nation and this idea that if you, have a bunch of kids and you homeschool them and you don't let them, uh, you know, date or, and you don't, uh, you know, you arrange their marriages and then they have big homeschooled families that like one day we're going to take over, uh, the, you know, one day we're going to take over the U S I having a bunch of kids is I'm, I'm saying this because I'm a practical person. And sometimes I think there's more than one way in. And I would say that a possible way into this is the, um, is the reality of what, you say what what you're being told to do and what is going to result. And having a bunch of homeschooled kids who will then grow up to be religious conservatives conservatives and taking over America is like having five kids because then they're going to be the starting lineup from the Bulls and this is how you're going to retire when they make tons of money. That like you have no power over what your children will become. There is no power on earth or heaven that will make your kids be who you want them to be because they have minds of their own. And as much as you, you know, you can, you can box them in, you can squeeze it. You can, you can draw walls, you can throw up boundaries. You cannot change 
who a child is going to become. I, I really think that, you know, and, and people love to quote the, you know, train a child in the way that they, uh, you know, in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Sometimes, sometimes that happens. But, you know, straight people raise gay kids, gay, pe- gay people raise straight kids. Uh, you know, people, Democrats have conservative kids, conservative kids have like, th- these things. You can't, you don't have power over this. And, and I think that if, if you're not, at a point yet where you're really ready to start interrogating the project, at least be realistic of what is actually going to result from this. And and I think that it's important to note that you can't muscle your way through a child's psyche to make them the person you want them to be. It's not going to look at, look at the Duggars, you know, um, I, this is, um, this is not going the way they thought it would. I don't think, right. You know, they've got a daughter who has, all but entirely defected from the family and um, is highly critical of them. And then the heir apparent to the Duggar political empire is uh, facing more than a decade in prison for, for, uh, for, 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 for child abuse, uh, for um, uh, possessing uh, sexual mater- assault material of children. And, and I think that you know, I don't know, maybe check out Dune from your local library. It's a great book. And it's all about the inability of <laughs> protocols to constrain the whims of the human heart. And uh, it's just a, it's, a, yes. it's a good lesson. It's a good lesson. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate uh, Dr. Laura. I had to call you Dr. Laura at least once. Uh, Rebecca, <laughs> um, <laughs> for being here. The work you're doing. Soon to be doctor. Um, Yes. Soon to be doctor. Uh, A while yet. Yes. But we're going (laughs) to, uh, we're going to speak it into existence. Uh, there we go. Yeah. The work you're doing, uh, among disciplines, um, in your own disciplines is really helpful for us. We need mothers who, uh, can help us make sense of confusing things. And so thanks for your, your writing, your time, uh, real quick, just once again, if people want to connect with you uh, on, in the virtual space, where can they do that? Rebecca, what's the best place to find your writings and to interact with you? Oh, we can't hear you, Rebecca. Uh, my Twitter, um, I think it's Mui Rebecca, and my uh, medium is Rebecca Mui and kingdomoutpost.org. Outpost.org. Yeah. And how about for you, Laura? Um, my Twitter is at Laura RBSN at what shoot, gosh. Okay, it's Robinson without the vowels. Okay. So it's Laura <laughs> R B N S N. Okay, got it. And um my my sub stack is at the top of that page, and there's also a link um on my profile to uh my uh if you want to do more um listening of like academic New Testament uh, material and get more familiar with biblical scholarship. I also co-host the podcast New Testament Review with Ian Mills, who uh, also got his doctorate at Duke. And we go over uh, classic pieces of New Testament scholarship just to familiarize people with the New Testament field. I also sometimes byline on Apocalypse Here. That's also on Twitter. That's uh, my husband's podcast. And uh, we have some stuff coming out soon. So those are, if you... uh, if you want to get involved in the fledgling Laura Robinson media empire, there are a lot of different ways to do it. So. <laughs> well, as somebody who's benefited a great deal from your medium site, Rebecca, and your Substack, Laura, I highly recommend those both. 
And then if you, like me, want to read New Testament scholarship or learn about it, but you don't have $143 to purchase the academic book, let Ian and Laura uh, give you the summary for free. Uh, thanks again for, for being on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> or see if they'll buy it for you. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so the uh, we, we, we had uh, Dr. Robinson, Dr. Laura, <laughs> and Rebecca on the podcast to talk about Shining Happy People. But halfway through that podcast, I thought, we should just have them on to talk about reality. <laughs> right. I'm in love with Rebecca's PhD about the intersection of politics and all that stuff. And then um, the way that Laura thinks... Um, really uh, lights me up. How was that for mm-hmm. you guys? It was good. I felt like we needed like a four-part series because there were lots of questions that we actually didn't get to. I know. Um, and yeah. so, you know. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've talked about is, you know, in our in our forthcoming um, sort of uh, membership platform is maybe maybe taking our time and, you know, just a few of us kind of walking through each episode and maybe taking some time to kind of unpack some of that stuff. Cause I, mm-hmm. I felt the same thing that it's, it's very, it's very dense. Um, you know, both, <laughs> both Laura and Rebecca are either have completed PhDs or working on PhDs. And so they, they sort of bring a, 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 a veritable cornucopia of uh, knowledge and, and background to this stuff that um, I think is probably it's probably still very new for a lot of our listeners. And so listeners that you, you may have felt sort of like you were drinking from a fire hose. Um, and that's, you know, you were, <laughs> so that's, that's why it feels that way. Um, there's just a, there's just a ton there. Um, but I think these, uh, I think the, the fact that we veered so far from the content of the documentary, mm-hmm. I think is evidence that uh, I think it, I think it's basically a, an exhibit of why this documentary is, um, I guess maybe people are talking about it uh, as much as they are. I, I think there are connections being made to a lot of things that people didn't realize maybe were, you know, where they were rooted or, you know, didn't realize that, hey, what I grew up thinking was biblical Christianity uh, is just yeah. super socially, racially, you know, economically constructed culturally compromised right it's It's yeah it's just reflection of the culture yeah it's it's not ancient it's not you know biblical in that in that way it's just you know and so i think it's just yeah it's rattling a lot of people so you know it's interesting because we didn't even get into this and actually we haven't even talked about this three of us but um you know a week ago or so uh the southern baptist convention like had a had a vote right and they voted women who were pastors out like right. you're no longer a pastor. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me. It's been, I mean, we're recording this, um, you know, a week and a half later, but I have not posted about it because uh-huh. there's something tender in my heart about yeah. the fact that a group of people are slow to admit abuse, like when it happens and, and slow to allow women, um, to have any kind of leadership position. And that says something. And I'm like wrestling with it in my own, within my own life of just like 
friends and, and family that have been impacted by women pastors, whatever. Anyway, it just made me think of like within women as a whole, like there has just been such mistreatment. This is like a gross generalization, but there's a wrestling, there's a, there's an untangling for me within this documentary with like how I grew up with what's coming out in culture and in different denominations. Like it, it feels like it's kind of showing its ugly face in lots of different places. Totally. Am I alone in that? No, no, no. Totally. Alone. No. Yeah. Christy, I had a, a SBC pastor friend who said to me, the reality is we do not have the interest in policing sexual predators, right. but we do have the interest in policing women pastors. Yeah. And what what he's naming is that this this isn't about faithfulness or principle. This is about how patriarchy works. Yeah. So yeah. that you're more bothered by a woman proclaiming the gospel yep. than you are a, a pastor grooming children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and if and yeah. this is what I mean by Rebecca and Laura both said, tell the truth about it. Yeah. Look at it. Don't look away. Yes. Don't try to don't get mad at the messenger. You know, mm-hmm. don't critique the documentary for being unfair to Christianity when the documentary is telling survivors, we see you. Mm-hmm. What happened to you is wrong. Like, that's the important thing here. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so I think yeah. over and over again, yeah. we just have to give each other permission to tell the truth and to tell Christians that, you know, want to police women pastors but not sexual predators, hey, knock it off, buddy. Yep. Yep. Knock it yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciated, um, and you know, I, I have a heart for, to, I think for people who feel very disoriented because they, because their faith, you know, they, their faith was so bound up in these forms and this theology that they, they don't know what it would mean to tell the truth about this. And, and like, how do I hang on to God and tell the truth about this? So I so appreciated what, I just wanted to emphasize it and say it again what Laura said that the advice that she got from some mentor in the past, that if you ever feel like you have to choose between God and the truth, choose the truth and it will eventually lead you back to God. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't mean to give you more work, Ben, but I wonder if at the end Mm. of the show notes, we can just have some resources um, whether, I mean, we, she mentioned she deserves better as a, as a good book, but I was thinking like, yeah. we have lots of examples of things not to read. <laughs> <laughs> and so what do we read? Um, what do we look at? And, uh, and ben, so I just wonder if there's like a handful of things we can put up there. I sent you an article on Baptist news by, uh, a past guest of the podcast, Rick Pidcock. Mm-hmm. And he, he wrote a really good article about how a lot of the dynamics we see in this in this documentary. Yeah. It connects the yeah. dots. So, yeah. um, all right. Well, both, uh, both of y'all, uh, tend to give me work to do. So mm-hmm. I don't know what to think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to get work off my plate. Yeah. But I'm probably mm-hmm. going to, uh, to put this stuff up sabbatical. There. I know. Well, it's just a sabbatical <laughs> from church work. So it's, it makes uh, it no. a little, you know, I'm not, Thankfully, Matt's giving me no church work to do. Yeah, he's, good he's work, Matt. Sabbatical None. Very Way well. to go. None. Except I did have to get the website fixed. The website crashed. Yeah, it did crash. 
But it was, uh, it was all right. It took me two minutes. I know you got to run, Christy, but uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Hike. Hike who? Unsuspecting Christy. <laughs> Matt, waiting with bated breath, sets the perfect trap. <laughs> and the minute I said, hike who? I was like, here he goes. Here he goes. He it's wrote happening. one. It's happening. There's a haiku coming. I love it. Isn't that a good one? That's yeah. a good one. All right, friends. Well, I got to go take one of my kids to work. So, whoa. Peace I, out, everybody. I need to go uh, hang out with friends and my daughter here oh, in Austin, Texas. Fun. I'm going to go work. I'm holding it down while Ben's gallivanting thanks, across the yeah, country. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Matt. Get some yep. work done. I will. Maybe if you could get some of my work done while Roger. I'm having fun with friends. <laughs> I'll send you some okay. more links to put in the show notes. Okay. All right. <laughs> Peace, y'all. All right. See, See ya. ya. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.